0: Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. God, help our minds and hearts. Father, I come to you this evening. I'm thankful, God, for you. I appreciate you. God I feel your love, I feel your compassion Lord that you have God upon humanity I'm grateful tonight for that love I'm grateful enough tonight God for that care God that you have for me I'm thankful tonight for that I pray oh Lord Jesus help me God just to see you God as you are Lord Jesus to see you God as you are God let your will and your purpose God be done in here and we we'll thank you and praise you God in the lovely name of Jesus Christ sing we pray Oh only you can do we'll thank you for it we'll be appreciative of it in we'll love the lovely name of Jesus Christ that we pray hallelujah amen the church say amen you may be seated so glad to have Jeff Gibman with us here tonight good to see you Jeff see you in the house of the Lord amen so glad to have him Amen, with us this evening last week we talked about and we are in a worship mode and I don't know how much longer I'll ride this pony But uh, I'm not trying to just get mileage out of it. That's not my purpose or intent by no means. Uh, But whenever the uh, Spirit says it's over, it'll be over, okay? Uh, But uh, last week we talked about the vicinity of worship, how our perspective of God uh, can be different at different levels of our worship. And just kind of just a real quick little review, uh, those that were the furthest from uh, that mount that did quake with fire and thundering and lightning and smoke uh, that those people discern God as being a devouring fire. And as we come a little closer on the side of the mount, the next people seem, uh, it is a heavenly thing. They had fellowship with God. And then lastly, uh, Moses standing close or at the closest juncture with God understood through his worship there that really uh, what others perceived as a devouring fire was God perhaps burning imminent desire uh, just to be with us. And throughout the, the, the word of the Lord, Old Testament and New Testament alike, there are several different words that are translated worship in our Bibles. It's just not one solitary word that is translated worship in our Bibles. But I think there are anywhere from 15 to 17 uh, different words that are translated in our English Bibles as worship. And there is one Hebrew word, if I may just pluck one of the several, one Hebrew word uh, that is in the Old Testament that's translated some 172 times. And if you need a, a course of direction for where we're going tonight, I'm speaking about changed by worship. Maybe that'll help somebody out and you are not feel like you're just floundering out here in the water wondering where we're going. All right, changed by worship. That, that this one word in the Old Testament, Hebrew, is translated some 172 times as worship. And it, it is the meaning that we have been somewhat familiar with in this study. Uh, it means to bow, to fall down, to prostrate oneself, to stoop, to beseech humbly. And in that time when they worshipped, and we have hit on this a little bit, but if you were to do a, just a search on the word worship or worshipped or worshipping, oftentimes you see gathered with that there's some type of gesture of reverence. There's a bowing, there's a kneeling, there's a prostrating of oneself, there's a kneeling of the head. There's usually some type of gesture of reverence that accompanies that. But whenever you pass on over into the New Testament, there is another word that takes great prominence in the New Testament. It is likewise translated worship in the New Testament. It's a Greek word there that's translated 59 times as worship, and it means literally this toward kiss toward kiss or if you will kissing a worthy person kissing a worthy person as one pastor commented he stated that you can bow at a distance but if you're going to kiss you're going to have to make contact and so there's a metamorphosis that happens in this theme and this idea of worship even from the Old Testament to the New Testament because see we're building precept on precept knowledge upon knowledge throughout God's word he takes us from symbol to substance uh, from Old Testament to New Testament and so we're constantly uh, you know building and it's not that it's something new it's just that God's pulling back the curtain of revelation and so whenever that happens, in the Old Testament, that, that, that common thing that was translated as worship in the Old Testament was just a bowing. But whenever we get into the New Testament, we're moving from just a bowing gesture or a bowing posture that the Lord is desiring some kisses. He's, he's desiring some hugs. He's desiring that we make contact uh, with Him. Uh, you, the, I, I know we teach our kids to kiss at a distance. You know, bow kisses. But, you know, that's only, as a kid, you know, and they do that, and, oh, your heart gets warm and all that. But I guarantee any young person that's in this place that's in a relationship and had, per se, the real thing, you're not willing to go back to blowing kisses. All right? Not willing to go back to blowing kisses. But in order to do that, you got to come close. you got to come close nigh to a person and so god in his new testament saints and people are calling them i believe through his terminology and the terms that he uses for worship is calling his people closer Uh, in the old testament for that matter they could only come so close because of everything of the testament law they could only get so close but in the new testament that veil in the temple what it's been written twain by the death of the Lord Jesus Christ and by his death that being written twain what's he telling those that are around I want you to come a little closer Uh, the priest still has to go in and do this for you but I want you to enter in through that curtain and I want you to come a little closer to me in your worship and I believe today in our modern day society if the call was for closeness in the New Testament I believe much more now that we're closer even to his coming he's calling for us as a people to draw in a little bit closer, amen. He still accepts bows. I want everybody to understand that. He still accepts those gestures uh, that he's sovereign and that he is superior. He still accepts all that. But what he really longs for is some kisses. Amen. I know, you know, sometimes we have a hard time wrapping our mind around some of those things that God would be desirous of some kisses. But through your worship, uh, that is exactly what he's desirous of. Could you imagine uh, mo- moving into a marital relationship and uh, never going beyond the bow for your husband and wife? You know, come home from work. How are you doing today, dear? Doing well. Amen. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how joyful or long that would last, but uh, I think somewhere along the line in the relationship, they're going to want some personal contact. Whenever my wife and I dated, we wrote letters. Uh, the internet wasn't a big thing, and in my family, we were lucky to have a computer, let alone, you know, internet. But uh, regardless, <clears throat> uh, I remember where we got colored television. We had black and white forever, and it was about that big. Where I grew up uh, in Princeton on Brown Street. But when my wife and I dated, we wrote letters. We had a long distance relationship. We lived 350 miles from each other, and so we wrote letters. And so within a couple of tens in our storage yet to this day is every letter we had ever written to each other in a couple of tens that we wrote to each other. But at this stage of my marriage, now about 16 years in, all right, I don't think uh, that, you know, just to express how much I love my wife, although she would love and appreciate me to sit down and write her a letter, uh, she would love that. But I don't think just my, my gratitude and gesture of my love after 16 years of marriage now could just be confined just to a letter. For one thing, 350 miles don't separate us anymore. I don't have 350 miles of mountains and hills and all that to separate us anymore. So now I'm in a position that I can kiss her. For that matter, I'm legally married to her. And so, the expression of my appreciation can go further than just a phone call. It can go further than a letter. Someone getting what I'm talking about right here. We are betrothed to one. We are betrothed to one. And where Old Testament terminology said, yeah, there is distance, that distance isn't there anymore. That curtain's not there anymore. So, I don't have to keep in this bowing posture. Should that be the only thing that somehow sums up my love and compassion and worship for the Savior no I can have contact with him I can kiss him I, I can become intimate with him amen amen praise the Lord isn't it great honey I wrote you a letter for our anniversary sat in the house and text her back across the fourth of the uh, front room isn't that grand amen really shows we've grown in our relationship someone say amen i'm not going x-rated here tonight but there's some type of vulnerability about whenever you deepen in your relationship with your spouse you can be totally exposed before them and unashamed because you've grown in your relationship whenever you get in close relationship with God, you can enter that place of worship where you are exposed before Him. The good, the bad, the comely, the uncomely, in His presence. But you're caught up in this love affair with God. Someone say amen. So this word, this word that's translated as worship in the New Testament toward kisses or if you will kisses to someone uh, to, toward a worthy person and we're doing the kissing and he's the worthy one it's not our worth if we were going to worship based upon our own worth we'd never worship but worship's not based upon our worth it's based upon the object of our worship it's his worth and so whenever we read we're back to John 4 but when we read in John 4 of this word worship ten times this word concerning kisses or kissing someone that is worthy a worthy person is used right there in John 4 Because Jesus, even speaking with this lady, I believe he's conveying to her that he desired a close-up, personal, if you will, in-contact relationship with this woman, although she was not worthy. Sometimes what stumps us from worship is that we believe the worthiness has to be on our part. But it don't have to be on our part. We'll get to that just a little bit here further along. John 4 and verse 24, if we can just trample on the Scripture. Maybe we trampled on already a little bit, but just go at it again. God is a spirit, all right? God is spirit, which would be literally God is spirit because in the Greek there's not a, no indefinite articles, meaning that it's just a spirit like one of many. No, 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 there's none of that in the Greek. It is God is spirit. God is spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Everyone say, in spirit and in truth. So the Bible right here in John 4, 24 shares with us two musts of worship. Number one, we must worship him in spirit. Everybody say lowercase s. So I've heard this preach capital S. That's not the case. This is a lowercase s. We must worship him in spirit. Not capital spirit, but lowercase spirit. We must worship him. Everybody has a human spirit. We all have a human spirit. That's little as. Whenever God created Adam in the beginning, he created him, body, spirit, soul. Genesis 2 and 7 bears that out. Genesis 2, 7, the Bible says, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, that's the body, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, that spirit. As a matter of fact, you see a lot of times interchangeable in the New Testament is spirit and breath, wind, all those things. And man became a living soul, soul. Furthermore, in the New Testament Scripture, the Bible plainly tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, 1 Thessalonians 5.23, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. We're not talking about H-O-L-Y, W-H-O-L-L-Y, Holy, entirely, if you will. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and Body be preserved blameless to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ man therefore is made up of his spirit his soul and his body and so whenever we receive the Holy Ghost whenever we receive capital S spirit the spirit of God we receive that spirit however our human spirit still exists okay our human spirit still exists how do you know that? Because our actions and our conduct sometimes exposes which spirit we're submitting to. There are days I got capital S conduct. (laughs) Capital S actions. There's other days I have lowercase s actions. Lowercase s conduct. Whenever God's spirit comes in, it doesn't do away with the human spirit. No. Uh, We are many cases. We do have two natures. I don't know if you realize that. We have a perfect nature that comes from God. We have this fleshly nature that we've been born with. That's the lowercase spirit, all right? So, so anyway, uh, and here's the idea. You must worship him in spirit, lowercase yes. The reason why it doesn't make sense to preach that you'd worship him in capital S spirit is this. It doesn't make sense to, 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 to worship that the Holy Ghost would worship God. It, it, there it is. Man, you're good. that it would bow down or kneel or prostrate itself before itself because when you're doing that what you're deeming something superior to another there is not one capital s spirit that you have in you is the same spirit that's around you whenever god came into you he didn't he did not he does not now not exist in the atmosphere just because God filled our lives or filled our hearts that doesn't mean well all of God summed up in that person no the totality of the essence of who God is is in you but that doesn't keep him from still existing everywhere and he didn't become less God because of becoming in you he's still just as big as he ever was but we can't worship him in capital S spirit because that spirit is not inferior to the spirit of God that is all around us so the only spirit that's going to be doing worshiping is that human spirit amen that you were born with because indeed that spirit is inferior to the capital s spirit the spirit of god furthermore the apostle said in romans 1 and verse number 9 romans 1 and verse number 9 he says for god is my witness whom i serve which we have understood through the past weeks that that service comes from worship what you worship is what you serve he says whom i serve with my look spirit Polar K says in the Gospel of His Son that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. So the first must is we must worship Him in spirit. That's our human spirit. Number two, we must worship Him in truth. Now, I says, well then you know there's one God. Worship Him in truth. Um, Should be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Worship Him in truth. Some, truth does not mean that we have to have it all together in order to worship God. Listen to me. Truth, truth is honesty. If I can say it like this, worshiping in truth is being honest about who we are in the presence of God. I cannot have all my I's dotted and all my T's crossed and come in and I can still worship God but while I'm there, I worship Him in truth and honesty, letting God know I'm not where I should be. I still got some habits. I still got some hang-ups. I'm not walking down your path this direction right here the way that I should be walking. That's worshiping God in truth. It's being honest with who and what you are. And so you don't have to have all the T's crossed and all the I's dotted in order to worship the Lord. But you need to be honest about where you are. See, the the, the problem is when you come to the Lord, you don't have it all together and you're trying to walk the dog like you do. You're not worshiping the Lord in truth in that matter, but when you come before the Lord and you're like, God, I own him, I'm low down, dirty scoundrel, and I don't have it all together, and I still got some things that are maligned in my life, you're worshiping the Lord in truth. God hates falsehood. He hates falsehood. He can handle somebody being honest about what they're not to par yet over rather than someone lying about some distance they've not quite got yet. God will love your honesty about your wrongs. Yes. More than you trying to cover up your wrongs like there's nothing going on. I think sometimes we get that backwards, see. I think sometimes they can't worship bless God look at them look what's going on in their life yeah but maybe they can worship God in truth because they're honest that hey I'm not there yet we, we perceive well they're trying to walk the dog maybe when they get in God's presence they're not and they're saying God I'm having a lot of problems here someone say amen, amen. because worshiping God the criteria for worshiping God has Nothing to do with us. It's everything to do with him. Knowledge of him. Revelation of him. The Bible says in Ezekiel 46 in verse, verse number 9. Ezekiel 46 in verse 9. <clears throat> the Bible says, "But When the people of the land shall come before the Lord in the solemn feast, he that entereth in by the way of the north gate to worship. Everybody say to worship. Those two words there are very... Important to this scripture. To worship. Shall go out by the way of the south gate. And he that entereth in by the. Flip. (laughs) South gate. The implication here is. To worship. Shall go forth by the way of the north gate. He shall not return by the way of the gate. Whereby he came in. But shall go forth over against it. Now note. These are people that's either entering by the North Gate or the South Gate. People did not enter by the East Gate. For one thing, that was kind of still closed up because that was the entrance of the Savior, the Master, the Almighty God. And there was not a West Gate to depart from. Okay? So there was just North and South. So people either entered by the North Gate or they entered by the South Gate. They say that a lot of times, according to which one they entered in, was about where people lived. Sometimes where you lived... Designated what gate you are more likely to walk through, about where you is living. But there is no, so you see in scripture there is no regulation, there is no instruction. You know this tribe, that tribe, and that tribe. You enter by the north, or you enter by the south. No, you just enter by whatever gate. But the purpose, what is the purpose? The purpose for entering in, whether it be by the south gate or by the north gate, the purpose is to worship you enter by the north gate, to worship. The implication is if you enter by the south gate, to worship. So you come in, you're by the north gate or the south gate, but the reason for entering was to worship. Now listen very carefully. After they worshipped, plain instruction was given as to what you must do after you've worshipped. You cannot return by the gate you came in but you must depart differently so the whole crux listen to me folks the whole crux of this instruction here just isn't summed up in the entering and the leaving but the whole crux is really what you do in between that entering and leaving worship so whenever you enter to worship that changes us in so much that we can't return and go forth the same way that we came now just for a little thought or theory or thinking upon why in the world wouldn't you want a person to return out the same gate number one consider this that when they went into worship if they came in let's say I'm coming in the south gate I come in I worship that I must turn my back on his presence to exit back out that gate or for that matter, I'm living over here. You know, life may be dictating to me that I'm entering in by the north gate because I enter in by the gate that probably I'm living at. Amen. Whenever I enter, if I go and worship and whenever, see, whenever I go to worship, I'm seeing God as he is. And what does that do? That, that makes a reflection on who I am. And we've talked about it. There's a confrontation there. It makes us a little uneasy. We're either going to change or we're going to escape and say how, well, that just wasn't all that. And just trying to pawn it off. But whenever I see that, then if I were to go back and return the same way that I just came, listen to me very clearly. There's other people coming in the north gate. Can you imagine the confusion for the people that knows how things ought to go that if you enter in by the north gate and you worship, you don't go back out the north gate? Can you imagine what that could do with some people that's living by the north gate that are walking in and you're walking out the very same gate that you entered in, they're saying, what's the deal? You're not supposed to come in the same gate or go out the same gate that you came into. What are you saying tonight, Brother McGee? I'm saying whenever we enter and we're not all to power over things, and we can come and worship because it's not about us, it's about him, but whenever I get in that mode of worship right there, I do see the differences, and worship always provokes, tries to provoke, if we'll allow it and submit to it, change so that once I enter a place of worship and intimacy with God it, it is in such a way that I don't want to go back out the gate to where I was living before right. amen and I don't want to bear confusion in the minds of those that are coming in yes, that's right. that's so right. I don't know if anybody's grabbing it tr- it's low fruit it really is all you got to do is grab it amen worship is the key So we might not have everything right when we enter to worship, amen, but it's not about me, it's about him. But in that worshiping moment, I'm challenged with my life, the way that my life is lived by beholding who his life is and who he is, and what that does is start to prompt, man, there must be, needs to be, ought to be a change. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, if you're lucky, I might be able to get you out here in 30 minutes from my starting point. Amen. 2 Corinthians 3.18 But we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory even as by the Spirit of the Lord. So the Apostle Paul is sharing here that as we behold the glory or the presence of the Lord, we're changed into the same image that we are beholding. When we behold God for who and what He is, there should be a persuasion upon our human spirit that we must change in our own lives if we'll submit to that. But listen, on the, so in other words, what you behold is a great likelihood of what you will become. Yeah. And so on the same token, we got to caution ourselves what we are beholding, what we're paying attention to, what we're listening to, what we're looking at, because those things have a tendency, the things that we behold, give attention to, look at, listen to, we have a tendency of being changed in the likeness to their image, That's the reason why worship is vital. Because there can only be one thing on the throne at a time. And as long as you're beholding Him, concentrating on Him, the likelihood of you becoming like Him is greater. What do I do, Brother McGee? I told uh, uh, Garuth... Uh, a group up north this year we did a youth session different youth sessions up north and I told them concerning the Philippians what is it 4, 6 or 4, 8 finally brethren whatsoever things are lovely whatsoever things are good report whatsoever things are honest whatsoever things are pure whatsoever things are honest if there be any virtue if there be any praise think upon these things because whatever our thought process is that seems to start it starts to take our life in that direction and so you can start gauging things in your life say is this thing true is this thing pure is this thing honest is this thing lovely is this thing a good report if not don't start thinking and don't start getting your mind frame going in that direction because for tonight's purpose whatever you behold it's a likelihood you'll become amen so worship helps us change worship helps us change now if you remember back when we did a James session in James chapter number 1 the Bible speaks of a man that is described as beholding as in the glass his natural face and appearance remember he's not beholding the glory of the Lord as in a glass but he's beholding his natural appearance as in a glass and the Bible says when that man leaves He forgets what manner of man he was because he entered into a similar situation but the beholding was himself rather than God. And so you behold yourself, you forget what major man you was and you continue being yourself. But if you behold as it were the glory of the Lord and the majesty of God in God, you have the greatest likelihood of becoming like what you have beheld. so change is more likely when we behold him rather than we behold anything else change that is for the better (laughs) throw that in there as a footnote Psalms 115 and verse 4 if you're looking at your clocks I'm probably going to already live on that 30 minute time frame the Bible says their idols are silver and gold the work of men's hands They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Noses have they, but they smell not. They have hands, but they handle not. Feet have they, but they walk not. Neither speak they through their throat. They that make them, all right, because these are gods of wood and stone or silver and gold, whatever it would be. They that make them are like unto them. So see, those that make them are similar or like them, but it goes further, so is everyone that trusteth in them. So those who make them or trust in them are similar to or like them, those gods. Now just bear with me here a moment. The word translated trusteth in Psalms 115 and verse number 8 comes from a Hebrew word that has the same origin as two related words. Now, the word here is Hebrew, but there's two related words, one in Arabic, another in Aramaic, two related words. And their meanings are this. They both come from the same root that this trusteth does. To throw one down upon his face, lie extended on the ground. Insomuch that, so is everyone that, throws himself down upon their face and those that extend themselves on the ground to them. In other words let me put it in the smallest terms I can not only are those who make them like them but those who worship them are like them because you have this tendency God formed it in fashion as such we have a tendency of becoming like who or what we worship So the people were similar to the gods they made, the people were similar to the gods they trusted in or interjecting, they were similar to the gods that they worshipped. People were like what they worshipped. So in reality, that is one approach, or that is one of the results of worship. When we approach with the right attitude, everybody say the right attitude. When we approach with the right attitude, worship will aid us in becoming more like so why would you want to avoid that? Why would you want to just kind of check that off the list? No, 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 no. I want to go back to that spot because we should have this burning desire to become more and more like God. And what I didn't catch the first time I was in his presence, if I go back frequent enough, I'll catch something else. Amen. Because like we said before, we'll never be totally like him till rapture day, so there's always room for improvement. Now, you might not have it all put together here we go again might not have it all put together but if you have an attitude that you want to please God you go in there with your honesty I'm not where I should be but I want to get there you have an attitude that please God then you're on a steady road toward God and God can accept your worship if you go in there everything messed up but you know it's messed up but you have a desire to want to make it better God knows your attitude he can accept that worship All right. listen But if you have it all together, every T crossed, every I dotted, but the end purpose for being there is so that people can applaud you for your dotted I's and your crossed T's, you might have the reverence bowing whatever down, but God knows your attitude. And in that moment, your worship is vain. It's vain. But God I got the T cross I got the I dotted yeah but you don't have the T cross and the I dotted because you love me in your relationship with me you're doing it because you like to hear the applauds of men okay. see this is a big this is a big thing in New Testament scripture because the Pharisees thought they were walking the dog and they were looking at other people that had a bunch of hang-ups in their life said man God ain't going to accept that look what they've been doing but they didn't understand the attitude of that worshiper that God knew that they understood that person said this is where I'm at but I'm desiring to be here God says I can accept that and that Pharisee while all day long he thought he was in good cahoots with God and we're going somewhere he said that's vain worship have no part in it The Bible says in Matthew 15 and verse number 8 it says this people draw nigh unto me with their mouth and honor me with their lips but the heart is far from me. And he says in verse 9, but in vain they do worship me. Teach of our doctrines, the commandments of men. See, vain worship happens whenever our attitude does not correspond with our demonstrative reverence. Our attitude doesn't correspond with our action. Pharisees had everything so-so. Amen. Had everything so-so. But they worshiped with their bowing, their reverence, whatever mechanics that they had they worshiped though not for the benefit of the recognition of God but for the benefit of the recognition of men you know, I worship God I'm there Sunday morning, Sunday night and Wednesday or I'm you know sometimes we get this mentality it's like stars on a lapel I got that right I do that and I do that You know what, and that's not so much so usually with that type of attitude. It's not that we're saying, okay, God, we got that right. We like to be able to tell other people. I go to church. Well, I was at prayer meeting. I read my Bible every day. Oh, Lord. I'm going to have to go get me a corn dog or something. You know, I've witnessed my kids uh, generally give expressions of sorry to the other child. But the attitude of their heart... The words was there, puppy dog eyes. They might even have a tear going down their face. But their attitude, really, you could just tell and just lick a little bit of a tone. or You, you know, you know your kids. And you're like, you go back and apologize to them, right? And you're like, well, I said I was sorry. You know, we do the same dance with God. Well, I was there. I sat there in worship and I raised my hands. But what's your attitude? What's your motive? What's your purpose? I love my greatest ones, folks. I love it. And and it happens with, with immature Christians maybe, but I just love it. Aaron, you know, we're supposed to be worshiping the Lord. And I, I, remember, I remember this vividly. This has happened to everybody, no doubt. And they're, you know, they're, they're just checking, you know. Do they see that, you know. They see that, yeah. You know, take, take a lap around the church and you just come back and you know, I'm short of bowing and waving your hand, you know, it's all. <laughs> you just... <laughs> Oh, God, it's horrible. Ah. Stay with me and I'll, I'll, I'll come to a close. Yeah. Listen, and, and I, I know I'm flirting with a bad spot here. But there is typically people that, you know, are just more boisterous. That's just their nature. But then there's other people that's boisterous for a cause. I've been preaching in churches, evangelizing, and someone's boisterous, and it wasn't so much their nature as though they want everybody else to know. Bless God, I'm with the preacher. Yeah. God said, vain, 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 vain. Now remember, the new remember the New Testament word translated worship meant kiss a worthy person. Kiss a worthy person. There is no greater illustration of what I've been talking about here just in the last little bit than this. What happens is one of his 12 called disciples come to a garden where he is along with other disciples. He doesn't bow at a distance, but he approaches him in the most intimate way, and he kisses him. Yet no greater insult, no worse betrayal, because although he had the action, his attitude was not that he was going to make it better it was going to get worse but when you enter in however you are put together or messed up and you worship him in spirit human spirit and truth you're honest about where you're at and you do that you worship he's going to start provoking something in your life called change you're going to not want to be who you currently are you're going to want to leave by a different gate you're going to exit a different way that you came It will provoke change. You'll start seeing yourself switching to his likeness and his image. And one time to the worship hall doesn't do that. But a continuous trip of keep on going. And since there's no distance there for you now, don't just do the bowing and the nodding. Go on and give him some kisses. You know, they have the little signs. Have you hugged your child today? Have you hugged your God today? (laughs) Hallelujah. Brother Mason, if you'll come. Sister Mason, he'll change you. Demon possessed man, possessed in the, uh, uh, the Gadarenes, when they saw the Lord, they ran, they worshiped. He was crazed, naked, ill, Ill you know, dressed, if at all for that matter, but just total mindset. But when it was all said and done, after a time of worship, the Lord got those devils out of there, man, he's in his right mind, he's clothed, all this is taking place. Amen. There's a power that's in worship. There's a power that's in worship. It has the power that if we continuously frequent that spot, it has the power to start causing some changes to take place. So I'm not asking you to come to his throne room tonight with it all just settled and done and you're just the perfect Christian. No, I'm not asking for that. I'm just asking you, worship him in truth just be honest about where you're at with god just be honest about those hang-ups just be honest about those infractions and those in all those things just be honest with him about it because he'll accept that worship you have the right attitude say god this is where i am but this is not where i always want to be i want to go further if you have that type of god can accept that worship god loves that type of worship amen and if you'll just expose yourself to him As you're there and as you're being honest and brutally truthful about where you are, there's just something that starts to happen. As you behold Him, changes start to happen. You're changed into His likeness and you're changed into His image. Worship has the power to change. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter